Please stand for the reading of the word. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. John 13, 12, 17. This is the reading of the word of God, and all thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Phil. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Phil. Thank you, thank you. Well, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord today. Amen. So glad that uh, you all are here. Glad to have you. It's good to be up here once again. It's always such a joy and a privilege to be able to speak to you. Um, So I'm glad I could be here to do that. Uh, If you haven't been here the past few weeks, we've been talking about uh, our mission statement at C1NAS. We've been taking it piece by piece, reconstructing reconstructing it, reimagining it, reminding ourselves of our mission statement. Um, If you don't know what our mission statement is, this is it, to know, love, and serve God and others. So you might remember a a few weeks ago, Pastor Brian, he talked about that first part, to know. He talked about how we know God and how we can know others. And if you remember, he got Kendra on stage and and Ronnie, and they walked together. And he kind of showed us that in order to understand Scripture, it takes a connection with God, and it takes being discipled by others. We can't just do it on our own. So that was what Dad did a few weeks ago, and then Pastor Travis was here last week, and he talked about what it means to love God, and if you remember, he had some questions on the screen that I'm sure um, were just as, as impactful to you as they were to me, and how asking ourselves those questions, we can really begin to dig in and, and think about, do we truly love God? And we know that if we love God, our priorities change, and our actions change, and, and, and in, all, in all respects, our lives change. So that's what we've been doing for the past few weeks, walking through this mission statement. So as you can see, today we're going to be uh, taking uh, the last part of that mission statement, the part that talks about serving God and others, what it means to truly serve God and others. If you're here at C1NAS, you know that service is something that we think is important. We hold it dear to us. If you just take a look at our calendar, you can see various different ways that you can get plugged in, that you can serve just throughout the year. Even today, you see multiple ways that people are serving, even here in this church service, whether it's back with our kids or here on stage with our praise team. We believe that service is important here at C1NAS. But one thing I want us to think about is something, uh, even though that you might be serving, I want you to think about, are you living a life of servanthood? I want, to ask, I want us to ask ourselves that question. Even though I'm serving, am I truly living a life of service? What does servanthood really look like? We're going to be diving into that question today. You see, even while you may be serving, you, you may not be living a life of servanthood. And it kind of sounds like an oxymoron, but we're going to be looking at what that means by looking at John 13. So if you want to go ahead and flip there, John chapter 13, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus, the one who can really tell us what it means to live a life of service. So go ahead and flip to John 13, and we're going to be reading, starting with verse 1. 
Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was tied around them. And I love this story. I love, I love these verses because John pa- paints a pretty powerful imagery for us in this verse. This text should affect us. It should bother you a little bit. If you really stop and think about what is occurring here, it should shock you. This is no ordinary man that is stooping before the disciples. This is our God. This is the creator of the universe, the one who made creation out of the darkness and the void, the man who, the man who made humans from the dust of the ground, who breathed life into them. This is the same God of the Old Testament who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, who split the Red Sea and allowed them to walk through on dry land. This is the God who was here yesterday, today, and forever. This is, this is Yahweh that is kneeling before these 12 ordinary men. This is our God who's, who's washing their feet and getting the dirt off their feet and who's patting the, their well-traveled souls dry. This is our God, and that should astound us. How can the God that we hear of in the Old Testament, who's filled with such raw and never-ending power, be kneeling at the feet of ordinary men? I feel like too often we don't give this passage the credit that it's, it's due and I don't think that John shares this story just so matter-of-factly. He's not just listing facts here, but he wrote about this event because this should shake your theology. John is saying that if this God that you've built up in your head, this, this God of maybe like anger or judgment or, or, or just raw power and death, if that's the God that you think of, why don't you take a look at this story in John 13? If your God is an angry God who, who just goes after people and is, just, and is mean to people, if that's the God that you have built up in your head, this God of, of, of just really anger and power, look at this God who, who kneels at the feet of the disciples and washes their feet out of love. Because that is our God. And it makes us ask the question, is this the type of God that I believe in? Is this the type of God that I worship I think that it's in this interaction that Jesus shows us what a life of servanthood truly means. He shows us what it means to be a servant. I think that the first thing that Jesus shows us about servanthood is that it requires humility. And I love the way that John writes this interaction right here from the very beginning because it's just, it's just dripping with really good theology. Look at what he says in verse 4 because I think that we pass over it. But really look at what he says. You can't miss this. Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied it around himself. Did you catch it? Because it's really easy to miss. Jesus got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. John is doing something here when he is writing this, and he doesn't want you to miss it. He's not just showing us that Jesus took off his outer clothing and then tied a towel around himself, a towel that would mark him as a servant. But he's reminding us of who Jesus is and what he's done. 
He's saying just as Jesus is taking off that outer robe here with the disciples, Jesus took off the robe of his majesty and glory. Just as Jesus took off his robe before the disciples, he took off the robe of heaven. And just like he's tying on this towel like a servant, Jesus came down and he tied on the towel of humanity. Jesus tied on the towel of being humbled before us, who to serve us. That's why Jesus came. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. John's doing something here in this passage. He's reminding us that Jesus took off the robe of heaven and tied on the towel of humanity to show us what it means to serve. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, puts it this way. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in, the, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's saying the same thing that John's saying. He's saying, be like Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, that means we too have to humble ourselves just like Jesus did. And I just love how John puts it in this, or how Paul puts it in this passage. He says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. What's he saying there? He's saying, if anybody could have been prideful, if anybody could have put himself on a pedestal, if anybody could have stood up and ordered people around, it was Jesus because he was God. But he didn't use it to his own advantage and still humbled himself as a servant in human likeness. So what Paul and what John and what I believe what God is saying to us today is if you desire to be like Jesus, if your desire is to look more and more like him, if our desire is to know, love, and serve God and others, it's going to require humility. There's no way around it. We need to shred off our robes, our robes that are ourselves, that are our desires, our fears, our plans. The sh- we need to shred our robes of the me, of us, and instead tie on a towel of humility before God and before others. Because it's only in that position, with your robe of pride taken off and kneeling at the feet of God and others, that's the only place where we can truly live a life of servanthood. I remember a story of when I was in in youth group. We went on a mission trip to Atlanta, Georgia. And it was there that we were working in a, a homeless shelter. And we, we, we had a plan that week. At the end of the week, there was going to be a big event where they were going to open the doors to the homeless shelter and a lot of homeless people were going to come in and we were going to give them food and we were going to give them clothes and um, we were just going to throw this whole big event to help the homeless people in that area. And I remember in preparation for that event, the people who were in charge came out and they began to assign tasks to the youth in our youth group of what they could ex- be expected to do that day. And so I remember there were, they were different things like um, making sandwiches or handing out clothes and stuff like that. But the first thing they asked is like, who wants to wash the feet of the homeless people that come in here today? And as you can imagine with the youth group, no hands went up, right? Nobody went up. Even I was thinking, that's, that's gross. I don't want to do that. that. That's just not me. I don't, I don't really like to touch other people and especially not their feet. Like, not for me, Okay. 
And that's the general feeling of a lot of people in our youth group. But bit by bit, one or two, three or four people kind of begin to raise their hands. And so they were assigned that task. They were going to wash the homeless feet. And I was part of the sandwich crew, which is an easy job. I'm very familiar with how to make a sandwich. I felt pretty comfortable in it, right? So that was what I was doing. But there isn't a day that I think about that mission trip that I don't regret raising my hand that day to wash the homeless feet. Because this is what happened, is not only did they wash their feet, but they had to clip their toenails, they had to rub ointment on their feet to protect them, because many homeless people didn't have very good shoes, or they didn't even have socks, so their feet were in very rough condition, so they tried to do as much as they can in those moments to help them out. It was a very, very humble job. And I regret not raising my hand that day, because I remember the day after this event, we sat around in a big circle and began to reflect on the events of that day. And I remember those people who had washed the feet of the homeless people, I remember just how profoundly affected they were by serving in that capacity. They were crying, like tears were filling their eyes. They were so touched. They were saying that God had moved in them in a powerful, powerful way just through that simple act of serving. They said it was, it was so humbling for them to be able to, to clip someone else's toenails and to wash someone else's feet. And they, they learned that they were part of something greater than themselves. They said, you know what, I just learned that you know, it's bigger than just me and my wants and the things that I'm comfortable with. But coming to the state of total humility before God and others allowed them to serve in a way they had never served before. And the Holy Spirit did an amazing work in those four people that day because they took off their robes of comfort, they took off their robe of cleanliness, they took off their robe of themselves, and they tied on the towel of servanthood. I have a picture of it. This is kind of that event. And these people were profoundly affected by this circumstance. Why? Because they found the most humble, the most humiliating way to serve, and they ran to it, just like Jesus did. And it's in these humble areas of servanthood that the Holy Spirit can make a profound work in our hearts. You see, we, like Jesus, have to look for the most humble ways of serving. Because those kids that washed feet that day, I can tell you they received no glory at all. It was a thankless job. But instead, it was because of their act of humility before God that it wasn't them who got the glory. It was God who got all the glory. And we too should be active in serving in humility because we don't serve for our glory, but we serve for his glory. True service of God requires a state of humility. Let's keep reading. If you look at, with me at verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know what I am doing, but later you'll understand. And Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, until I wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So just kind of reiterate here, Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples and he comes around the circle and he finally comes to Peter. And Peter begins to make a scene like Peter does so often, right? He tells Jesus, he's like, Jesus, you shouldn't be washing my feet, I should be washing yours. 
Peter's shocked by Jesus' actions. But Jesus tells Peter that unless he washes Peter's feet, he will have no share with him. And so Peter goes to the extreme, and he's like, well, well, as Peter always seems to do. And he says, well, God, if you're going to wash my feet, you might as well just wash my head and my hands also. Let me get my shower cap, and we'll get this done right here. Because if you're washing, I'm on board. And Jesus is like, no, we're only going to wash your feet today. I would strongly prefer only to do your feet. He said, you've already had your bath this morning. He says, you don't need to be washed except your feet, because all of you guys are clean. And he says, well, maybe not all of you. And I imagine he kind of gives a sideways glance to Judas. And if you're a parent, you know how to do this really well, right? Uh, I think back to the times when, um, like, my mom, we'd be, like, like, at the kitchen table, and we'd be, like, eating our dinner, and my mom would say something like, you know, the weirdest thing happened. I bought a whole bag of Doritos yesterday when I got groceries, and I came here today, and it's all gone. And then she kind of, like, throws a sideways glance at me, just to show that she knows I'm the guilty party. I think that's a little bit about what Judas, or that, what Jesus did to Judas in this moment. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew it, and yet, he washes his feet anyways. You see, what Jesus teaches us in this passage is that no one is exempt from our service. No one is exempt from being served by us. If Jesus perfectly exemplifies what a life of servanthood is, then it means that no one is off limits. Everyone is fair game. In this situation, if there was one person that Jesus would have been justified with skipping when he was going around the table, it was Judas. Like Judas was literally going to get up from that table, go out the door, and betray Jesus. He was going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. And yet Jesus comes and washes his feet. I can only imagine what, G- what Judas was thinking in those moments, that he knew what his plans were that night. I can't imagine what he was thinking when Jesus came and stooped at his feet and began to wash them. What Jesus shows us is that we're called to serve everyone. No excuses. Even those who have wronged us, even those who have hurt us, even those who have lied to us and betrayed us, we are called to serve them as well. A life of servanthood means our service is extended to everyone. But too often I think that we like to make excuses of why people don't deserve our service. They hurt me in the past. They betrayed me that one time. Or they have no gratitude, right? They've never thanked me before. I've served them time and time again and they've never said thank you. Why should I serve them now? But Jesus believed that we should serve our enemies, not only because we have hope that God is going to change them through our act of service, but because we have a hope that God, through our act of service, is going to change our hearts as well. If God's going to call us to love our enemies, an integral part of that call is serving your enemies as well. I think that in many ways, serving our enemies can be the first step in loving them. Even Paul makes that connection. Look at, look at Galatians 5. It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, not only to use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You should love your neighbor as yourself. What's Paul saying? He's saying serving and loving, they're connected. I love my wife. So I serve her, and she's not in here, she's in the nursery, so if someone could please tell her that I said that, that'd be great. I love my wife, so I serve her, right? Serving and loving is connected. 
And the beautiful part about it is when it comes to loving your enemies, serving someone can enable you to love them. It gives you an avenue in which to begin to love that person. If someone really gets under your skin, if someone has betrayed you or hurt you, and you can't find a way to love them, if your heart just can't seem to love them, I would encourage you to find a way to serve that person. Find a way to humble yourself before them and watch as God's grace begins to work in your heart and enable you to love them. And guess what? The fact of the matter is that even though you serve them, even though you extend your love to them, it doesn't mean they will change. Think about Judas. God humbled himself before Judas, served Judas, loved Judas, worked in Judas' life. Judas was right there next to Jesus, his whole ministry, and yet it didn't change what Judas did in the end. Our love and service may not change them, but it will always, always, always change us. Another reason that we tend to exclude people from our service is not only because we we may have been hurt by them in the past or they're our enemies, but I think that we can tend to exclude people from our service simply because we don't have the time. Sometimes serving someone in need can be seen as a distraction as an interruption of our daily duties. But I think that Jesus is telling us that we need to begin to make room for these distractions and serve in the midst of them. No one is exempt, not our enemies, and certainly not the people we don't have time for. I read a blog post, I shared it with the other pastoral staff because it really affected me. And the blog post said this, when I was a pastor, the writer, he's a professor now, he said, when I was a pastor, I had an experience with a woman that has forever changed my life. He said, there's two buildings at my church. One my office was in, and the other our weekly, our weekly staff meeting was in. One day I was literally running to a meeting from one building to the other because I was late, and on the way I ran past a woman whose son had been struggling with depression. As I got to the door, I turned around and jogged back to her. How's your son, I asked, and I was a little out of breath. We chatted for about five minutes, and I went ahead to my meeting. And then a week later, he gets an email, and it says this. I know you were busy last week, but it meant the world to me that you stopped on your way somewhere else to ask about me. She goes on to say, as I thought about it, it it occurred to me that most of Jesus' ministry was on the way somewhere else. He was willing to be interrupted, and that's where his interactions happened, in the interruptions. Thanks for being interrupted. Thanks for being like Jesus. The writer goes on to say that Jesus always seemed to invite interruptions into his schedule. In fact, more of his story is about interruptions than anything else. Think about it. Most of his ministry occurred on the way somewhere else. It says, and Jesus went here, and on the way, he was stopped by someone. Most of his healings were were when he was on the way somewhere to do something else. Very rarely does Jesus go on the way to heal someone, but instead, It's what we would call an interruption in Jesus' schedule. But in this me-centered world that so many of us live in today, we are so quick to push away interruptions that enter our schedules. Everyone's in a hurry. Everyone's got something to do. We are so quick to make excuses for not serving because of time. The people in front of me at the grocery store, that's an interruption. The people who crowd the department store around me can be an interruption. The friend who calls me while I'm walking out the door, that's an interruption. The family member who drops by unannounced, interruption. The stranger who strikes up a conversation with me at the grocery store, 
an interruption. But what Jesus shows us is that these interruptions that we face every single day are more than that. They're an opportunity to serve. While Jesus was on his way somewhere and he found himself interrupted, it always, always, always led him to serve someone. Healing someone. Speaking truth to someone. Jesus was not bound by this me-centered culture that we live in, but instead he served in the way of the Spirit. In a way that quickly took the focus off him and what he was doing and where he was going and his schedule and quickly turned it to impact the lives of those around him. Jesus shows us by his life and by what he does here in John that no one is exempt from our service. Not our enemies and not the people that we don't have time for. I have an illustration that kind of perfectly gives an example of how so many of us allow our schedules to get in the way of serving someone. I read a, a, last year at our Global Leadership Conference, there was a story that they were telling, and it was about a study that was done on a seminary campus. And what they did was they got a bunch of seminary students together. They didn't know that they were being a part of an experiment. They didn't know they were part of a study. And they said, okay, we want you to preach on a very specific Bible verse, and we want you to preach about that Bible verse at this place at this time. And so the seminary students, they got their sermons together, and then that day and that time, they went to that place to preach that sermon. Well, then when they get to that place, there's someone there that's saying, oh no, this is the wrong building. You have to go all the way on the other side of campus and you're running about 10 minutes late. And they would do that. And they would give them different uh, levels of urgency. Sometimes they're like, okay, if you get over there right now, you might make it on time. And sometimes they say, listen, like you're already 30 minutes late. So they gave them various levels of urgency. But the bottom line is they were sending them all the way across campus and they might be late. And it was on the way while they were running to the other building to preach this sermon they thought they had to preach. They had a man who was an actor sitting in an alley and he was coughing and moaning and he looked like he needed help. How many, what percentage of seminary students do you think stopped to help this man? Out of all the seminary students, no matter their level of urgency, whether they said you're five minutes late or 30 minutes late, only 40% of seminary students stopped to help this man on their way to preach their sermon. When it was a high level of energy, uh, when it was a high level of urgency, only 10% stopped to help this man. And to make it even worse, the sermon that they were going to go preach on, guess what it was on? The Great Samaritan. And they didn't stop to help the man in the alley. Why? Because they were in such a hurry. They allowed their time and their schedule to get in the way of helping someone, of serving someone. And so many times we can do the same thing, but we have to realize that what Jesus says is no one is exempt from our service. We can't allow our schedules, we can't allow our feelings, we can't allow our past hurts to get in the way of serving someone else. Let's look back at John, verse 12. Jesus has washed all the disciples' feet, including Jesus, and this is what, or including Judas, and this is what it says. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have set you an example, that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I think that here, once again, John is doing something theologically in the telling of this story. You see, after Jesus, after he's done serving the disciples, what does he do? 
he puts his robe back on. And what does he say? He says, okay, I've set the example. Now go and do likewise. I've set the example, so now go and serve as I have served. I think what John is showing this is like this is a foreshadowing of what's about to occur in Jesus' life. Jesus took off his robe of majesty and came in human likeness and he served. But now he's going to die and be resurrected. He's going to take back on his robe of heaven. Take back on his robe of glory and of majesty. And all he's leaving us is his spirit and his example. And we're to follow his example of servanthood. We're to live a life of servanthood as Jesus lived. If you're looking for what servanthood means, if you want an example of what servanthood is, all we have to do is look at the life of Jesus. He shows us what to do. If you read the Gospels, just see how he reaches out to the, ask, the outcasts and, and the lepers and the ones who don't belong. That is service. See how he stands for the justice of others when they're mistreated, when they're pushed down. It's Jesus who stands in the gap. See how he heals those who are sick and those who are crippled. See how he makes and trains disciples. That is a life of servanthood. And if you want to know what it means to be a servant, you just have to look at the life of Jesus because he was the greatest servant of all and we're meant to follow his example. If we're called to live a life that mirrors mirrors the image of Christ, it must include service. You can't look at Jesus' life without seeing how he served. Therefore, I believe that you can't look at a Christian's life without seeing how they are serving. Service isn't something that I believe that Christians have to kind of force themselves to do. It shouldn't be something that we kind of grit our teeth and, and roll our eyes and say, okay, let's just get this over with. There's a, there, no, there's a reason that we serve. There's a reason that we go out and serve. You see, there's something going on in this story that Jesus is doing. There's a symbolism in what Jesus is doing when he washes the disciples' feet. The fact that Jesus is washing the disciples' feet means that that water represents the grace of God that is at work in their lives. It represents the fact that they have been cleansed by God. They are made new. They've been changed. And it's with that new life, it's with that cleansing, it is with that that the grace of God will then push them into service. It pushes them to be servants in the example of Christ. It's because they have been washed that they will desire to see other people Washed. God's grace is at work in them, so they serve with the hopes that God's grace will work in others. What Jesus is exemplifying here, what he's telling the disciples in this passage, is that service is an avenue of the grace of God. The grace of God that's been working in my life, the grace of God that's been working in your life, how it's changed you, how it's cleansed you, it's extended to others through service. Now go and serve others so that others can experience the grace of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Go and serve others so that others can be cleansed. Go and serve others so that others can be changed. If this is true, if this is really what we believe as Christians, then service should no longer be an inconvenience to us. If this is what we believe service truly is, it's not an interruption in our schedule. It means that no one's exempt. It means it requires humility because if we really believe what Jesus is saying, because Christ's grace has worked in us, we should want to share our, that grace with other people who may not normally experience it otherwise. I believe that God is calling each and every one of us today to serve someone who has not been cleansed by God's Holy Spirit. 
I believe that there is someone that God wants to put in your path. There's someone that God wants you to encounter. Maybe it'll even be an interruption in your schedule. There's someone that God wants you to meet and to serve so that they can experience his grace. That they might not ever be able to experience have it not been for you and your service to them. A life of servanthood that Jesus is calling, to, calling us to in this passage means that every day we are overflowing with the grace of God in our own hearts and lives. And it's that overflow of the grace of God that prompts us, prompts us and pushes us into service. Our desire is that through our service, that overflowing grace that comes out of us is then invested in the people that we're serving around us. God has washed our feet, so we must wash others. And I kind of have a sermon illustration that I want to show you that I think might um, kind of show you a little bit what I'm saying. I have to be careful because this is Annie's nice, this is Annie's nice kitchen utensils, this bowl and this cup, and if I break them, she'd be really mad. So I gotta be careful. This is something, if I break these, this is something I don't want you to tell Annie because she's not in here. Okay, one more thing. All right, so like we've been talking about, this water in this picture represents the grace of God, okay? That's what this represents. And this cup is us. So when God fills us with his grace, when we spend time in his presence, when we pray to him, when we come to church, when we spend time with him and coming to know him, he fills us with his, with his grace. But I think that the thing about God is that like, he doesn't just fill us to hear with his grace. When we spend time with him and time in his word and we say, Lord, fill me with your spirit and your grace, I don't know that he just fills us to just full. I think that when Jesus fills us with his grace, he actually fills us till we're overflowing with his grace. We're overflowing with it. And I believe that that's why we're called to serve is because we're not just full, but we're overflowing with the grace of God. And it's that overflowing grace that we want to invest in the lives of others and invest in the people around us because we're just overflowing with it. If our lives look like this, it's not an inconvenience. It's not something we don't like to do. It's not something that we have to grit our teeth and do because we're overflowing with the grace of God. But what I worry about is that so many Christians, they're living their lives like this. And that's why service is so hard. There's nothing to pour out. There's nothing to invest in the lives of others. There's not, there's, that's why service is something we have to like roll our eyes and just get to work and do is because we have no grace to give. And if this feels like you, if this seems like you, if service is something that's difficult for you and you just, it's an, always an interruption, it's always something di- oh, it's hard for you to do, I would encourage you to humble yourself before God, spend time in his presence, get to know him more, spend time in his word, and allow him to do this for you. Because the fact of the matter is that God wants to do this to you. He wants to fill you to overflowing. All it takes is spending time in his presence, time in his word, so that we can be filled to overflowing with his grace, so that we can be enabled to serve those around us. And that's what Christ wants to do. That's what he was telling the disciples. That's why we serve. Maybe this morning, it's time that you humbled yourself before God. It's like we talked about earlier. We just need to take off our robes of doubt and our our robes of fear, our robes of worry, our robes of comfort, our robes of cleanliness, the robes of pride that each of us wear. Maybe it's time that we just take off those robes and instead instead tie on a towel of humility. Take the position of a servant. Maybe it's time that you allow God to offer you a fresh outpouring of grace filled to overflowing, just like we talked about. 
so that you can begin to serve and invest that grace in the other people around you, your friends, your family, those people that you haven't even encountered yet, that you don't even know yet. God's wanting you to extend grace to them through service. There's no holds barred, nothing held back, no, no interruptions, no exclusions, friend and enemy alike. We serve with grace. Why? Because God's grace is overflowing out of us. That is why we serve. Will you stand with me this morning? We're gonna kind of respond in a different way this morning that we've, we've never done before. And as Nathan comes, I'm also gonna have Travis and Steve come. Um, I wanna say that the altars are open, so if you feel led to come and pray, maybe you, you feel like that empty glass, you feel like you just have no grace to give and you wanna experience the overflowing grace of Christ, that is here at the altars when we humble ourselves before him and allow him to pour his spirit into us. So I wanna say the altars are open, if that sounds like you. But I, what I also want to do today is we have these bowls of water at each of these tables. And what we're gonna do is, one by one, we're gonna, we're gonna line up just like we would do if we were taking communion. We're gonna come down the aisles and you just come down whichever aisle closest to you. And we're gonna come, and we're just gonna dip our hands or dip our fingers in this water. And this water, again, symbolizes the grace of God. And you can dip your hands in the water and then we'll have a towel for you to dry them off. But what we're gonna say when you do that is we're gonna say, as the grace of God has been extended to you, may you extend it to others. That's what we're gonna say. So dip your hands in the water and just feel the grace of God that's been overflowing out of your life. And just as that grace has been extended to you, as you dry off your hands and as you walk back to your seat, take a new mission be reminded of the mission of C1NAS, that we are called to know, love, and serve God and others. Be reminded of the mission that just as the grace of God has been extended to you, it's now time for to use those same hands to extend grace to someone else. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then Nathan's gonna sing. If you would come and do this, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this overwhelming, overflowing, overpowerful grace that you've laid on our lives, God. Each of us can attest to the grace that's been at work in our hearts and our lives that's changed us. We're not who we are before. It's that same grace that has released the chains of sin, God, that same grace that's formed us into your image, God. And today, we're gonna, we're gonna perform a symbol, Lord, of that same grace at work in our life. God, I just ask that as we put our hands in these bowls, Lord, that we will be reminded of that grace that's overflowing out of our hearts. And as we dry off our hands and walk back to our seats, may we be reminded that we need to use these same hands to extend grace to everyone around us. No holds barred, no excuses, friend and enemy alike, no interruptions. God, we are your servants, and because of that, we are also others' servants. We are here to serve others just as you did. So Lord, I ask that you would work in our hearts and lives as we do this. We ask all this in your name. If you would come this morning.